Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Judas kept the common purse, and he used to steal what was put into it. That's 300 more denarii he could have had, had she not busted that jar. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Jesus, who read hearts, she brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Well, he had just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. She saw it with her own eyes. She saw that dead body that had been rotting and decaying for four days. And Mary said, oh, we're not going to need this burial oil because I know, I believe what he said. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I don't need to save this for his burial. He is the resurrection. We're not going to be needing burial ointment. She's not going to save it. She's going to lavishly use it in an unforgettable bridegroom spice way now. She used a full pound. Today's value would have been $20,000. A $20,000 jar of perfume broken. She wiped it with her hair. Now, what do you think she kept smelling for the next several days? Throughout his crucifixion, while she was watching him on the cross, she could have smelled that nard, and it would have brought back that memory of how she gave herself to him fully and completely. It was extravagant, yes. And I looked it up in the dictionary, lacking restraint in spending money or using resources. Yes, it was extravagant, Judas, you're right. Cost too much money, yes. It's exceeded far what was reasonable or appropriate, yes. Absurd, yes. It was an absurd extravagance. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought of this story once because I'm diagnosed, I have a 50-50 chance to live, and Steve comes home with this. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. And, and he did. And he gave me a new ring. And I said, but honey, I'm dying. I hope you save the receipt. Because <laughs> I don't have any daughters. And I, why are you doing this? And he said he just wanted to lavish me with love while I was still here. And, and I thought of this scripture. You know, she wanted to give it to him now while he's still here. She knows he's going to die. Jesus linked her gesture of extravagant, excessive extravagance with his upcoming passion. Theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar taught on this very passage, and he said, wastefulness is the original Christian attitude. The entire passion occurs under the sign of this complete self-wasting of God's love for the world. God wasted his only son. His only begotten son for us. We know it's not a waste. Yes, we know it was an extravagant gift of love. We know it's irreplaceable. We know it can never be done over. It was once for all, but he did it. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with me. You won't always have me. You'll always have the poor with you. You won't always have me. And Mary knew he was heading to Jerusalem soon, and she knew the Jewish aristocracy was after him. They wanted him dead. And I can imagine her going on in that Song of Solomon to chapter 5. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but did not find him. He had to leave the next day. When you break the alabaster seal, it's forever broken. The oil that's poured out can never be recaptured. The spikenard was on his feet. It was in her hair. 
and it's a spiritual marriage. And some other saints also exhibited this same type of spirituality, like Teresa of Avila. Teresa of Avila is a Catholic mystic known for this direct communion, this union with God, this deep, deep union with God called a spiritual marriage. And if you go to Rome, you can stand in front of Bernini's sculpture of St. Therese in ecstasy. And it is her spiritual bridegroom in a spiritual marriage, a deep, penetrating, searing love. Mary had a spiritual marriage with the Holy Spirit, I believe. I believe she had this type of spiritual union because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she was filled with the incarnate Christ. She has a spiritual espousement with the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual marriage. She's a virgin. She will always be a virgin, but she has a spiritual marriage with the Holy Spirit. She's espoused by the Spirit of God. And was her life a bowl of cherries? Uh-uh. It's painful. St. Therese says this marriage is a searing pain to the deepest core. Like, like for Mary, it was a sword in her heart. Simeon predicted, Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. Not just one sword, but as Marianne showed us tonight, seven swords, seven sorrows of Mary, a perfection of sorrow pierced her heart in this spiritual marriage. Joseph and Mary both had a spiritual marriage with God, I believe. You know, they had to have a spiritual marriage together because they were chaste. In the marriage, they were chaste. They were set apart for God alone. And then so each of them had God as their soul marriage spiritually. Spike Nard was not native to Palestine, and so it had to be gotten from India, making it so expensive. It was very aromatic. It's amber-colored essential oil used as perfume medicine in religion, especially in connection with the Jews. Most often mentioned in the Song of Solomon, and this is just the creme de la creme of his writing. It's full of nuptial imagery. Saints like Tres of Avila loved to read the Song of Solomons. Young Jewish males were not allowed to read this until they came of age. If you've ever read the Song of Solomon, you might want to. It's beautiful, beautiful. Here's a section. You have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with a glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How sweet is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed. Your channel is an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard, spike nard, and saffron, calamus, cinnamon. All trees of frankincense, myrrh, aloes, all the chief spices. A garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. So spikenard was definitely a bridegroom spice. It's 18 inches tall. It grows in India. It produces a waxy white flower that blooms from the bottom up. And they're planted. It looks like you're just planting a dry little twig, but it sprouts into this most beautiful, fragrant spikenard, termed by poets to be the wedding flower. And guess what? It's in the coat of arms of Pope Francis. Right there, spikenard. He chose it as one of his items on his coat of arms. Now, why is that? Why would he choose that? <laughs> spikenard. You thought it was a cluster of grapes. Uh-uh. It's spikenard. You can tell everyone now. Because he is married to God's bride, the church. He's in a spiritual marriage. <laughs> and it also symbolizes purity and humility. And since the flower is white and a symbol of purity, Church fathers saw it as a humility symbol as well, and we often see it associated with who? St. Joseph. 
Saint Joseph, who was in that spiritual marriage with Mary, they had a, an agreement, and his staff showed authority over the Holy Family, but also that he was the earthly father chosen by God to raise Jesus. And in Western art, we got it all wrong, like we do so many things. We put an apple, Eve eating an apple. There aren't really apples in the Middle East. I'd like, you know, it would have probably been a fig. But artists in the West started painting Easter lilies for St. Joseph because he's chaste and pure. And it's not supposed to be Easter lilies, but artists paint what they know. That's not what Joseph should have. Joseph was asked to be in a spiritual marriage with God and with Mary. And so his symbol was spikenard. And so if you look at the old paintings, and I was on a mission to find any spikenard, Joseph and spikenard, spikenard, not lilies, spikenard. Isn't that beautiful? Is his purity, his humility, his spiritual marriage he was chosen out of several candidates by a miraculous sign. We're told in the Proto-Evangelium of St. James that a group of widowers were called to the temple after Mary's parents had died as to who would assume protection of Virgin Mary, this beautiful vessel that had lived in the temple from age three on. And the high priest didn't know how to decide which man, so he had them all put their rods in. Now, what does that remind you of? Number 17, when all the tribes of Israel, Moses had them all put their rod in, and the sign would be the one that sprouted, and it was Aaron's rod, and it sprouted beautiful flowers of almond blossoms. And so they knew it was supposed to be Aaron that would lead the house of Levi and be the first high priest because his rod sprouted. So in the Proto-Evangelium of James, all the candidates put their rods in, and nothing happens, and when they're picking them up, a dove flies out of the end of Joseph's rod, or it was landed on his rod, and the high priest knew, ah, oh, a dove is on your rod, it's you. And Joseph's like, me, no, 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 it's not me. Go away, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Lansy and Lansy claim a further tradition that at the beginning of Mary's pregnancy, this virgin that Joseph had taken to protect is now pregnant, that the devil began to mock Joseph, especially at night, saying that her virginal conception was more, no more likely than his staff blooming, which right then his staff bloomed miraculously. And guess what it bloomed with? Spikenard. And one of his titles is called St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Have you heard him titled that? Saint jo when you do the litany of St. Joseph, one of the titles is Terror of Demons. Pope Pius IX declared Joseph patron of the church in 1870. Leo XIII wrote an encyclical on devotion to St. Joseph. John XXIII added Joseph to the canon of the mass. Pope John Paul II wrote Guardian of the Redeemer about the plan of Joseph in redemption. And Francis now has named, added Joseph's name to three of the other Eucharistic prayers that didn't contain his name. Joseph's a big deal. <laughs> And the whole church has Joseph now as our protector and defender. And he, there's a sense that uh, he's good for protection against the terror of demons. Many orders take him as their patron because he protected the Holy Family. He is very powerful against the wiles of the Prince of Darkness. And so he is called the terror of demons. Now, you can imagine the doubts he had in the dark of the night, can't you? Spikenard is a nocturnal plant. That means it only blooms at night. And it opens its blooms up in the dark, dark, dark pitch black night and gives off the most incredible scent to those who are lucky enough to smell it. It's a night plant. Well, when Joseph was in the night is when he would have the most terrible doubts. 
Am I supposed to really be the father of God? Is, is she really pregnant? But is this really true? And so four times in the terror of the night, Joseph is visited by angels in dreams. He is the terror of demons. He protected the incarnation of God by protecting Mary and the child who Satan wanted to devour the minute it was born. Joseph is told in a dream, in, in one of the, you know, he might fall asleep praying to God, having these terrors and these doubts. And then God would send an angel telling him what to do. Rise from your sleep. Take your wife. Keep her as a virgin. Dream number two, he's told to take the child and get out of here. Flee to Egypt. Herod's after them. And dream three, he's told, it's okay. You can go back now. You can go back. It's safe. Go back to the land of Israel. Dream number four, in the middle of the night, he's told, no, 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 no. Don't go south. Go north. Go, go up to Nazareth. It'll be safer there. It's a different son of Herod. He's not quite as bad. And so God takes care of Joseph in this spiritual marriage that they had. The next day, the crowd comes to the festival, and they see that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. They take branches of palm, and they go out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, Jerusalem. This is a direct fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9. Exactly what Zechariah said would happen. Your king will come to you righteous, victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey. Exactly what happened. In the Middle East, if you're a leader coming for war, you ride a horse. If you're a leader coming in peace, you ride a donkey. Jesus comes into Jerusalem in peace, even though they hate him, the aristocracy, and he knows they're out to kill him. Solomon also rode in on a donkey when he rode into Jerusalem. David said, Solomon, ride my own mule. Long live King Solomon, humble and riding on the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes in peace, riding a mule into the city to the shouts of Hosanna because they have just seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They're all walking from Bethany in a parade to Jerusalem. It's only two miles away. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified... Just like John 2 tells us, then they remembered when they had the Holy Spirit poured on him, they remembered these things that were written of him and what had been done to him, and it all made sense. They still do an annual walk on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem. It begins at Bethphage, and this is the house of unripe figs. It's a town. It's just six blocks from Bethany. It's Bethany's furthest out, then Bethphage, and then Jerusalem. So if you leave Bethany, you have to walk through this town, Bethphage. It's the house of unripened figs. Jesus had to go through it. They raised figs there. Bethany was house of dates, and Bethphage was house of figs. There is a church there, a Franciscan church. It's only six blocks from Bethany, and this is where the procession starts into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. They claim to have the mounting stone that Jesus stood up on to get up onto the donkey at the Crusader church there. There it is. Holy Thursday procession starts here into Jerusalem to this day on Bethphage through the Mount of Olives and up into the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So Lazarus is raised in Bethany, six blocks from Bethphage. Bethphage, I have to tell you about this, it's the only area outside the walls and camp of Jerusalem that was considered by the Sanhedrin to be an official part of the city of Jerusalem. Why is that important? Because many Levitical priests that served in the temple lived in Bethphage, and because it was the furthest point allowed by Jewish Sanhedrin law where bread could be baked for use in the temple. And they always had to have those 12 loaves of shoe bread. 
every week they were changed out. But it's also very close to the chamber of hewn stone. What's a chamber of hewn stone? It's attached to the temple, and it is the place where the 71 male members of the Sanhedrin would meet to decide cases. It's like the Jewish Supreme Court in Jerusalem, highest court in all the land. But the city, the village of Bethphage, had two ruling seats of the great Sanhedrin council. Of the 71 seats on that council, two were allowed to live in Bethphage. Now, house of figs, a foal for Jesus, a donkey, is picked up. He's told to find it in Bethphage. Here's the final journey from Bethany to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives to the temple. Two seats of the 71 great Sanhedrin seats are held in Bethphage. And that is very important because specific decisions of the Sanhedrin could only be made in these official seats at Bethphage. And those decisions are listed in Old Testament scripture. Certain legal decisions had to be made by priest and judge at a specific location given by the Lord, and they had determined that place to be Bethphage. And what had to be decided at Bethphage? Death sentences for rebellious leaders of the nation. Death sentences for rebellious leaders. It is in Bethphage where they are going to decide that Jesus must be put to death. Those two members of the Sanhedrin, it has to be outside the city walls. This is so important. It's prescribed in Deuteronomy 17, where it says, if a judicial system is too difficult for you to make between one kind of bloodshed and another, one kind of legal right and another, one kind of assault and another, any such matters of disputes in your town, you shall go immediately up to the place that the Lord your God will choose. When you shall consult with the Levitical priest and the judge who is in the office in those days, they shall announce to you the decision in the case. That was at the time of Moses. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. They had decided Bethphage was the place to decide the most difficult places, especially death of a rebellious leader. So Jesus is passing through Bethphage, and they are deciding his death sentence. When the crowd of Jews learned that he was there, he came not only for Jesus, but to see Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. The chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well. They would have done that at Bethphage, since it was on account of him that the Jews were deserting and believing in Jesus. So Bethphage is the destination where they will consult, and the decision will be carried out to put Jesus to death. And it was outside. They liked it because it was outside the city walls of Jerusalem. So do the dirty business out there. Now, we just said that Zechariah 9.9 was fulfilled. There were no numbers in those days. And I was reading back in Zechariah chapter 8, and they're deciding to kill Jesus, and they're, they're giving false information, all this, to get him killed. And it says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. All these things I hate, says the Lord. So here they are in Bethphage, these aristocratic Jews, devising evil in their hearts. They're putting a false oath against Jesus, doing all the things the Lord hates. And Jesus, it tells, I love this, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus left them. He was in Bethany, six blocks from Bethphage. He leaves the city of Bethany, spends the night. In the morning, he returns to the city. He sees a fig tree. What's Bethphage mean? House of figs. He sees a fig tree by the side of the road. He went to it and found nothing at all on it but leaves. And he said, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Remember that story? And everyone's like, why would he do that? He's really losing it. 
No one understands that story. That story is he's in Bethphage, and they have just ordered his death, and he knows it, and he curses the fig tree. No fruit, no fruit. These, these Jewish leaders have borne no fruit. They're killing an innocent man. They're putting him to death. They're trying to kill Lazarus. May no fruit ever come from the place of the unripened fig again. He curses the tree, and it withers to the ground at once, right outside of Jerusalem, in Bethphage, where he must pass through on his colt to ride a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He's been sentenced to death in Bethphage, the ruling seat that determines death sentences for rebellious leaders of the Judean nation, and they consider Jesus to be a blasphemer deserving of death. Zechariah prophesied that they had devised evil in their hearts and they were going to carry out a false oath against Jesus. And Judas is in cahoots with them. Now, we go on to see that there are some Greeks that are asking if they could meet Jesus. And this is huge. Among they went up to worship at the festival and there were some Greeks. Greeks! Greeks! Greeks are pagan. Greeks don't believe this. Greeks couldn't... They came to Philip the one from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Word has reached Greece. They've heard about him. They've heard of his miracles. And Philip got Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Gentiles are coming in on their own. They're asking about Jesus. This is it. This is it. This is it. This is time. This is it. The hour And we see this theme of the hour throughout John's gospel. We saw it first in John 2 when Mary said, they're out of wine at his first miracle at Cana. And he says, mom, my hour, my hour has not yet come. And he says, what is this between us? And their eyes lock. And before you know it, he's performing his first miracle. The stopwatch has started. And now Jesus is saying, the hour has come. The Greeks want to come in. The Gentiles want to come in. They want to be part of this. This is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the apostles must have thought, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. The military takeover into Jerusalem. Let's go. And this is it. This is the hour of glory. (laughs) This is the hour. This is the hour of God's most powerful victory. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, 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 enough to feed the whole world for all time, for perpetual eternity. Jesus is going to be that grain, that grain of fallen wheat. He's going to die. He's going to go into the ground and be buried. Then he's going to harrow Hades. He's going to help those dormant seeds down there that have all been waiting to hear the gospel preached to them, all the imprisoned spirits. He's going to shine his light on them, preach the gospel, and they're going to sprout. And they're going to bear much fruit. They're going to be the first fruit. Then he's going to pour out his spirit like the river of life that was in the garden is going to flow all over all the seeds and we're all going to sprout by the Holy Spirit. Remember in third grade when your teacher gave you a dead bean seed and she said, here, everyone take a seed and then everyone take a milk carton and then fill your milk carton with potting soil. Then we're going to put these dead seeds, remember? And then we're going to set them in the sun and come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And all of a sudden, you saw a little cotyledon. And then you saw and it, all that life. That is, I thought that was just a dead, hard bean seed. But all this was inside of it. Unless a seed falls, 
And now, look, look at our beans. We are the seeds. We're the dead seeds, but all this potential, we're dead because we're spiritually dead because we have original sin when we're born, but all this potential is inside of us because we're made in the image and likeness of God. We just need to be baptized. We need to be watered by the Holy Spirit. We're dead. We're dead. We need to enter into death with him, and then we need to rise up out of the water. We got watered in baptism with the Holy Spirit. We died to our old self. We put on the new self, the new man. We got anointed with bridegroom oil. You get special chrism oil when you're baptized. We get anointed with oil of the Holy Spirit. We're given the light of Christ. He's our sun. He's our light. He's our all our energy. And it's lighted, our candle, when we're baptized, is lit off the Easter candle, his resurrection candle. And now we're the light of the world. And we're not supposed to hide it under a bushel basket. He becomes our light. He helps us grow. He helps us grow in our faith journey. He helps us share our faith, the courage of the Holy Spirit at work tomorrow when you tell someone about this. And we grow. And we grow. And we grow. And we become Christ. And we start. He's gone. He, he went back up to the Father. Now he lives in us. And we're to feed the world. Jesus. And we're to be Jesus. He feeds us himself. That's the best, high protein, high power, high energy, high everything food we could ever have. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it forever for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He was lifted up on the cross. He was lifted up in the resurrection. He was lifted up in the ascension. And he's lifted up at mass by the power of the Holy Spirit and the epiclesis and the transubstantiation. When the Holy Spirit comes down, he's lifted up and he draws all people to himself to feed all people, even the Greeks and the Chinese and the Japanese and the Polish, everyone. (laughs) And I, when I am lifted up on earth, will draw all people to myself when he's hoisted up in the monstrance and adoration. And all his healing power is there, and he wants to heal us. He's lifted up to draw all people to himself. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Praise you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you that you want to be our bridegroom, that we, your church, are your bride that we can be in a spiritual union with you that is so beautiful and so pure and so full of the oil of your Holy Spirit. May we never forget the scent of that spikenard that we want to pour out for you and that you want, that we just want to, oh, Lord, thank you for coming as a triumphant king on that day. Hosanna in the highest. Thank you for being raised up that you might be lifted up and exalted above all other names and that we may truly proclaim that Jesus is Lord this Christmas when the light of life comes into the world to dwell in the hearts of all men. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter 12, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.